0: to the 2015 Faith Forward podcast series. The following presentation was recorded live at the 2015 Faith Forward gathering, April 20th through 23rd at St. James Cathedral in Chicago. During these four days, hundreds of conversation partners from around the world and spanning dozens of denominational traditions gathered to equip, resource and inspire one another toward innovative theology and practice in ministry with children and youth. This podcast episode features Amy Butler's presentation at this gathering, which she titled, Bread on the Water.
1: I know you're all jealous as I know I would be if I were you, of the person who gets to be the final speaker at Faith Forward, you know, to attempt to bring a deeply inspiring and life-changing word after a whole entire list of amazing voices. I've especially enjoyed being with you this year. My favorite Faith Forward so far, I think as it began with Brian McLaren showing us pictures of his grandchildren and how wonderful was that to put some little faces to all of these theoretical conversations we're having. As I thought about what I might offer as a way of wrapping things up today and sending us all out to love and serve the Lord and all that, I considered a couple of different options. I figured I could try to deliver a rousing call to action, you know, go out there and work harder to change the world, as if we're all not paddling against the tide as hard as we can already. Or I could give us a pointed lecture reminding us all that. Ministry with youth and children is not, in fact, an afterthought. It is a transformative form of ministry in itself, and then I would be preaching to the choir. Or I could exegete a text, you know, the gospel text about Jesus and little children, and I could try to look like a biblical scholar that I'm really not. I considered all of those things before I arrived, and I rejected them. Instead, I kept coming back again and again to a message that's a little more personal. The thoughts that kept returning to me as I reflected on Faith Forward this year are some musings about life and ministry and the struggle to be faithful to the call that we have heard on our lives, stories that come out of my own life and experience over this past year. It's always tricky to speak from a deeply personal place, and I've been Uneasy about a message like this. A couple of times I ditched it all and decided I'd just go with the ministry with youth and children is not an afterthought routine. You know, it's a good one, really. But then I got here and Ryan was using his time like a large screen grandpa's brag book, so I thought, (laughs) you know, what the hell? Here we go. (laughs) I'm curious to know how many of you came to Faith Forward in DC in 2012? Anybody? Okay. So that was the first year of the conference, as Dave said, and it was held at the church that I served then, Calvary Baptist Church. Last year, and again this year, it has been a joy to return to a place filled with light and life and optimism and hope and to hear the kinds of things that all of you are doing in your work, to think creatively about our future, to look forward, as you might say. That's really the heart of our work, isn't it? as we follow a God who is ever-creating, and most of the time we're just doing the best we can to keep up, right? And looking forward has certainly been the theme of my year. In fact, last year in Nashville at Faith Forward, I was just toward the end of a pretty grueling vocational discernment process in conversation with the Riverside Church in the city of New York. As I've learned since I began that discernment process, The Riverside Church has an incredible legacy of prophetic voice and cutting-edge ministry. It's an extra-denominational Christian experiment. It's a place that in its history has led the way for radical expressions of Christianity on so many fronts. I couldn't, at that time last year, have any idea how my life would change in this year gone by. And that's probably another talk or a three volume tell all memoir or something like that. But what had begun for me last year as a process of discernment has continued throughout this year. A relentless push to find answers to the question of where the church is going. A persistent offer to speak to the desperation that so many within the institutional church are feeling right now. And the invitation to take on what some might call the biggest administrative and institutional challenge in American Protestantism today. So while I, along with everybody else, have been asking theoretical questions about the future of the church, my real life intersected those questions in a big year this past way when shortly after being with you in Nashville last year, the Riverside Church voted to call me as their senior minister. And so the ball started rolling. I said goodbye to a congregation I had loved for 11 years. I packed up and moved to New York City while my two youngest, two older teenagers, stayed in DC to finish up their final years of high school. I began the work of learning a new congregation, city, set of responsibilities, all looking forward, 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 to what's next, to the dream of the future, to all the possibilities that God might create in this wonderful work. And I've been doing all of this, going at this pace, thrilled by the challenge of the work and the wild ride that this has been, trying desperately to juggle all the challenges in my family's life and to learn all the new things that I had to learn. And a few weeks ago, I found myself as a part of this journey, traveling to Spokane, Washington to deliver a lecture. It was spring break for my kids, Hannah and Sam. So I thought it'd be fun to take them with me and have some family time and all of that. So we packed up and headed out west and I worked the whole flight out to Washington, good thing for in-flight internet, right? And I was busy explaining to the kids all of the obligations that I had that week and how I thought we might fit in some time together and I was so busy and preoccupied that first day there that my phone slipped out of my hands and fell face down on the cement sidewalk and completely shattered. I don't know if you share my dread at the description of these events, but there it was. In one fateful second, my constant connection to everything that was important was ripped away from me. And as it turns out, Spokane, Washington is a bit of a small town. They have an Apple store, thanks be to God, but for some reason still unknown to me, the fine folks at the Apple store couldn't replace my phone for three days. Three days. This is the United States of America. <laughs> and so I pushed through. You know, the kids came along to my speaking gig. They were simultaneously baffled that anyone would voluntarily show up to hear me say anything. And, <laughs> also desperately bored out of their minds. After my lecture my son Sam said look mom I have this Excel spreadsheet it's all my college choices they're delineated into tier 1 tier 2, tier 3 with their geographical location, the cost and pros and cons and so he had done that during my whole lecture. (laughs) Hannah, my almost 18-year-old, graciously offered me the use of her phone so that my colleagues could reach me, and I was using it the very next morning at Riverside State Park, walking along the Spokane River in one of the most beautiful natural settings i have been in in a long time. And I turned on the camera app on her phone, and I took a picture of my kids walking ahead of me. And it was in that moment that I suddenly came to myself as you would say if you were a character in the Bible. But as I looked at that scene, the one you're seeing now, I thought, right there. That's what matters right now. Those two young lives that are in this moment, right here in my presence, two lives about to launch into independence and a new kind of relationship with me, adult to adult, are here with each other and with me in this beautiful amazing place and I need to be here right now with them. And I put the phone away. When I thought about that experience I had a few weeks ago, I kept returning again and again to the book of Ecclesiastes, that part of our holy text that nobody ever hears or reads unless they're diehard Pete Seeger fans. The book of Ecclesiastes is a bit difficult to get our minds around. It's not that fun for biblical historical scholars because nobody really knows who wrote it or when it was written or why. Further, it's full of all these deep-sounding statements that reflect a depth of wisdom we don't often live as we skate through our lives on the surface. Here in chapter 11, the writer of Ecclesiastes muses about the value of just what I felt in that moment, something I might say that all of us grapple with, especially those of us who are persistently trying to create a future that we cannot see. The sage seems to be directly speaking to me, to us, when he says, as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things, sow your seed in the morning And at the evening, let not your hands be idle, for you don't know what will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. Here, be right here, in this moment, for this time. Look deeply into the eyes of the person right in front of you. Feel the brush of another hand on yours and savor the hug of a friend Listen with your whole self, open to be changed by what you receive. Be here now. Those of us who work with youth and children, those of us who work in an institution with an unknown future are constantly being called to look ahead, look ahead to the future. And it's true, we are important actors in shaping the future for the church. When we create environments where young disciples can wonder about the divine, where we offer opportunities whereby they are shaped into people of faith who live lives, as Brian said, of justice, generosity, and action. Our children and youth are becoming as we all are as long as we have breath in our bodies. But those precious lives intersect our own right here, right now. And I think it might be right as we prepare to return to our communities of service, energized for what's ahead, if we pause to savor the moments right in front of us, to delight in the discoveries of our littlest ones, to honor their wisdom and their leadership, to cherish moments, this moment, this moment right now, before it's gone. Some versions of this Ecclesiastes text start with the translation of verse one that says, ship your grain upon the sea, There are others like this one that read, send out your bread upon the water. As I read this text, thinking about moments that matter, I reflected again on the time that has passed since we were last together at Faith Forward in Nashville last year. Last year on my way home from Faith Forward, I was standing in the taxi cab line at National Airport when my mother called my cell phone. I couldn't understand her well with the noise of the traffic around me, but I heard enough to know that my younger brother, 38 years old, was in the hospital and they didn't know what was wrong, but it seemed bad, so stay tuned. The next few weeks following that time were a blur as I, along with my other siblings, flew to Hawaii to be with my parents and my brother and his family. Later that week, we had to make the hard decision to remove my brother John from life support to plan a funeral, to say goodbye way too soon. The months that followed my brother's death, as I mentioned earlier, were filled with personal transition to a new city and a new job. The background narrative that not many people knew was that my sister-in-law was struggling to parent four young children alone, and my other siblings were stepping up to care for her children to give her some respite. And I, of course, couldn't do anything to help. I couldn't change diapers or drive carpool or pack lunches. I was barely surviving my own transition. And all of us, all of us were trying to navigate the waves of grief that kept washing over us and dunking us under at the most unexpected moments. Late last fall, my sister-in-law visited New York with my littlest nephew, Grady. He looked so much like my brother, John, that for the weeks that they were with me, every time I'd look at him, my breath would catch, and my throat would close, and tears would threaten. And I wanted to fix things for him, for them, for all of us, so very much. So one afternoon, I took Grady to Central Park to feed the ducks. We packed the stroller with a picnic blanket and some stale bread, and we walked down to the lake in the middle of the park. I didn't know it then because I'm new to New York, but the ducks in Central Park are not very hungry. (laughs) At least they weren't last fall. I mean, we'd throw our bread out onto the lake and they'd totally ignore it like it was like a passing nuisance or something. And all the bread we had would land on the surface of the water and just sink to the bottom, right? I was furious. (laughs) I was furious. I had this one afternoon with my nephew, during which I'd wanted so much how to show him how to feed the ducks, to soak in every little bit of my precious brother in this little person, to patch up somehow the gaping hole of loss that my nephew does not even know he's carrying yet, to make everything better. But the ducks didn't care, and they wouldn't cooperate, and I was really angry until I felt a little hand on my cheek and my nephew snuggled up close on my lap, pointed out an airplane in the sky, trying out new words and taking in fascinating wonders all around him, secure in my arms in that moment and just fine. He didn't care about the ducks. He couldn't know the weight of the world around him. He just knew in that moment that he was safe and loved And that from that place of security, there were many more discoveries, more than he could ever imagine all around him. The ducks didn't cooperate, and I can't fix Grady's future, a life without his dad. But it occurred to me that I could be there, right there in that moment, and I could feel his little hand on my cheek, and I could witness his amazement, and I could feel hope and possibility through my tears. I'm fairly certain that the writer of Ecclesiastes was not talking about feeding recalcitrant ducks in Central Park when he wrote, send out your bread upon the waters. But maybe in that moment, it became a metaphor for something he was surely trying to convey. This life is so precious. The moments we have with our children are moments of such deep meaning, not just for the future we are surely building, but for right now, right for this very minute. In all our hope for what will be, in all our striving to make it so, we should never, never neglect precious breathtaking moments of becoming that are happening all around us and indeed within every single one of us. As you go from this place ready to move forward, to take with you all that you have heard and learned and seen, ready to put it into practice and to surely, surely change the world or at least fix the church, I want to invite you when you get home, before you start changing the world, to send out some bread on the water to sit in the reality of what is right now to witness the young lives around you and all of the wonder that they are in this moment and to see your own life your very precious life through the lens of God's creative genius and give thanks for what a gift we have been given these lives of ours. Be here now. Feel everything that you could possibly feel. Witness the beauty all around you. Send out your bread upon the water. See God. Amen.
0: The contents of this podcast episode are reproduced by permission of the presenter and Faith Forward under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivations Copyright. The Faith Forward podcasts are produced by Dave Sinis. Please stay tuned for more episodes of the Faith Forward 2015 podcast series on the web at faith-forward.net and join the movement at the 2016 Faith Forward Gathering. April 18th through 21st in Chicago.